CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It is Friday, and that means it is time for Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee, live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square tonight. As market reverberations from the war in Ukraine overshadow stronger economic data here at home, we're concentrating on protective positioning. First, Carter finds the most idiosyncratic stock shielded from both international and domestic crosswinds. Then Tony uses a short signal to point out why now is the best time for a macro hedge and how to do it. Finally, Mike Coe uses today's trading halts of several Russian ETFs as a teaching moment about how to employ options when market liquidity starts suddenly evaporating. So let's get right to it. Big show tonight. Stocks in the red again today as a growing impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine adds to domestic concerns. So Carter Worth, when looking for a name, is isolated from all the worries as one could be. Carter, what is it? Well, that's right. Sometimes you're just on your own, on autopilot, if you will. And United Healthcare, I think, uh, meets all the criteria. Let's look at the charts. The first one is simply a comparative chart. It's a two-year uh, rendering of the S&P 500 versus United Health. And you can see how their paths are diverging of late. The S&P is rolling over, whereas UNH is continuing on. Now, let's look at the same two-year comparative chart, but add the healthcare sector. So now this is the really interesting thing. United Healthcare leading the way, beating the S&P, but the S&P is also beating the sector, which means that United Healthcare is really beating its peers, which are lagging the market. So now a few up close and personal UNH charts. The first, one way to draw the lines, we know that that move in the October low is about 30% up versus the S&P up 12, and now this pullback or pause. The second way to draw the lines would be uh, converging lines. Either way, the presumption is it resolves to the upside. A big week for this sector and for this stock. And then um, let's look at the trend, and trend is important. Here you have coming up a two-year, I mean, that is literally a 45-degree angle, perfect. And it has been ascending in that channel. That's two years. How about if we look at since the 09 low? Now look at the next one. Another 45-degree angle, stock is up and to the right. What's not to like? It's the definition of stay long, be long. And how good actually is uh, UNH? So check this out. The next is a comparative chart. And this is United Healthcare versus Google and Apple over the last 10 years. It has paced some of the greatest names in the market. And final chart, add the S&P in to that comparative chart, and we see the S&P bringing up the rear, down on the bottom, United Healthcare, Offensive, defensive, it's a defensive sector, stay long, be long, get long. Even better, actually, than Google and Apple. That's eye-opening. Um, thanks, Carter. Mike, you got a trade on UNH. Yeah, United Health is an interesting stock. So this is just from a fundamental standpoint, a, a stellar performer. This is a company that has not reported a sequential year-on-year -year revenue decline for over 30 years. It's growing uh, the EPS at double digits. Uh, we're looking at probably 20% year-on-year EPS growth for full year 2022 versus last year. And it's a cash flow monster. Full year 23, we're probably looking at about $40 billion in free cash flow. And to put things in perspective, that's going to be a more than six-fold increase 
over 10 years, which is definitely one of the reasons why you're seeing the stock track some of those notable names like Google and Apple and so on. And in fact, that's actually faster free cash flow growth and revenue growth than Apple has been able to deliver in recent years. It's trading around 23 and a half times earnings, not unreasonable given those statistics. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause here is the strong performance that the stock has seen recently. And I just hate to do a little bit of stock chasing here. The other thing I would quickly point out is that implied volatility is relatively high for this name. And we're definitely seeing short dated implied volatility is higher than longer dated implied volatility. So the April options considerably more expensive than the longer dated ones. So for those reasons, I'm inclined to use a call diagonal. I was looking at the June 500, April 520 call diagonal, buying the June 500, selling the April 520s. Net net, that would cost about $19.45 a share, an outlay of a little less than $2,000 in total, or about the value of four shares of stock. An important point also, the company's going to be reporting earnings on April 18th, and April expiration is shortened this year because Good Friday falls on the 15th. So April expiration actually is the 14th prior to earnings, but there's still a premium in those options despite that fact. Tony, what do you think of the trade? Yeah, so Mike, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike refers to his concerns about chasing the stock at all-time highs, and I think that concern is valid, but Carter's charts of the relative charts, that's really what I think is really important here. And if you look at the relative strength of UNH to SPY, the market, or its sector, XLV, you see that UNH actually printed a new all-time high today relative to both. And that is really the signal that I think that generates why I think UNH will break out to new all-time highs, even though right now it's still about $10 shy of those all-time highs that it put in about a month ago. So and if you look at the business itself, as Mike said, this is a stock that is loved by pretty much every analyst on the street trades at a fairly reasonable multiple considering the revenue and EPS growth that we consistently see over the past a decade or so or even longer as Mike was showing you and what you have is a valuation that I think is quite reasonable for a continuation higher into the high 500s as, as an upside target. So when you think about chasing these all-time highs and the concerns that Mike has that's really where you want to use a diagonal spread like this and especially when you have a stock like UNH where you don't have explosive moves to the upside a diagonal is really the right structure for this up and to the right uh, chart as Carter was showing you and by paying just shy of $20 for a diagonal spread that's $20 wide he's not going to see any uh, uh, any losses to the upside if UNH does explode here to the upside and he's reducing his overall risk on the entire trade to just 4% of the stock's value and that's exactly how you want to structure a, a, a trade where you're effectively at all-time highs and you're chasing new all-time highs. Carter, I want to let you get the final word in here. And I'm, I'm wondering, because I know that a lot of viewers are, are thinking to themselves, you know, Carter is comparing UNH to a Google and an Apple. Does that necessarily mean that those two other charts look just as good as UNH? Well, they don't, actually. On a day-to-day -day basis, if you look at uh, the relative strength of UNH to those stocks, it's, it's also making new highs. Here's the point of that exercise. Who would think that UNH has been as good as Apple and Google over 10 years. It's that good and that's trying to hammer home that point. Yeah, that's a good point to make. Let's get to a different defense now from a macro perspective, that is. Tony, you say as implied correlations of stocks rise above 50%, you can pick just about anything and short. And for you, that means it's time for a broad hedge. What do you mean? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I think in this current market volatility, it's time to consider looking at being more defensive and placing a hedge is certainly one of the ways that you can go about doing so. So if we look at our first chart here, this is a, a, th a three month in, uh, implied correlation chart from the SIBO index. And what you see here is that it made a new one year high. Now this tracks the implied correlation of the top 50 stocks in the S&P 500. And when you see these levels rise, what this certainly means is a lower benefit to diversification and stock picking and an increase in terms of systemic and tail risk. And this is really the concerns that a lot of investors currently have with the overall market. So this is confirming these, the concerns that investors have. And if we look at the SPY, what you have on a long-term weekly chart is a trend line that recently broke over the past couple of weeks. This is a trend line that has been in, in place for the past two years. So this is showing us that there's some concern here for further downside. And if we zoom in here to the daily chart, we're just testing this 425 major level that has been retested multiple times here over the past couple of months. And my concern here is that if we break below this key level, we're headed down to the low 400s and high 390s, if you will, to the downside as a target. So the trade structure that I want to use to try to protect ourselves against this potential downside is to use a put vertical. I'm going out to April and I'm buying the 425 390 put vertical, spending about $15.30 for that uh, April 425 put and collecting about $6.40 for that 390 put that I'm selling against it. Net net here, I'm paying $8.90 for this debit spread, which is only about 2% of SPY's value. So this gives me a, a downside protection here in the, near in the short term if we start to see some further volatility here to the downside. Mike, what's your take on this? Yeah, so when Tony is talking about implied correlation, really what that is is a measure of the options market prices on index options and ETF options, like those in SPY, versus the price of options on the single stock constituents of those indices or funds. And when implied correlation is high, that's just telling us that index options are higher relative to the cost of those single stock options. And when you see that take place, uh, that suggests that those options are a bit more expensive. And that is one of those circumstances where it makes more sense probably to use a spread the way he's suggesting than to go out and buy, say, puts outright. So I think this is a, a good trade structure to take uh, a bearish position or to hedge your portfolio while recognizing that if you've been looking, and I'm sure many have, that the cost of insuring your portfolio right now is, is relatively high. Yeah, Carter, what, what's your take on the charts and where we're headed? Well, consider this, the, the, the market is driven by the big growth names, we know this, right? And those names are concentrated in the NASDAQ 100. And the NASDAQ 100 at the end of last year just completed 13 consecutive years of positive returns. That's never happened in the history of the Dow and the transportation average going back to 1800s. It's been a great run. The market is in the phase of churning, stalling, and presumptively the downside risk is bigger than the upside reward. Tony, final word on this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And if we look at the cues, and you could use the cues here as well as a hedge, the cues certainly look, look much weaker here than SPY. SPY is still currently holding these support levels, but that's why I'm using SPY right now. It's a little cheaper to hedge using SPY than using the cues.
All right. Still to come, the timing of today's trading halt of several Russian ETFs took some by surprise. Myco is using the scenario as a teaching moment on how to use options to cope when liquidity evaporates around you. For more options action, check out our website and sign up for our newsletter. We will be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. It's been a big market week, so we'll start answering your questions early this evening. Professor Coe himself highlighting this one, still unsure, will I be able to sell my RSX puts tomorrow? That's a very good question. I'm sure a lot of people are asking that. Uh, so, Mike, what is going on with RSX? What's the answer? Yeah, so uh, to understand the question first, we kind of have to take a step back and take a look at some of the things that have happened since Russia invaded Ukraine to the markets there and to some of the markets here that are impacted by them. So if anybody's been following, one of the things we saw early was that the Russian stock market closed. So that prevented anybody in that market from buying or selling the ordinary shares. Now, of course, in the United States, we have several ETFs that track Russian shares. An example of this is RSX. That's arguably the best known ETF. And that is an ETF whose investment objective is to correspond to the 30 largest publicly traded companies in Russia. There are several others, um, but arguably this one is the most well-known. Now, some of the additional news that we saw this week was, first of all, some of those ETFs were halted periodically by the exchanges. And exchanges can halt ETF trading for a couple of reasons. They can halt it for volatility. They want to maintain an orderly market. So you will sometimes see situations where they'll halt the trading just to, to do that. Other reasons can involve regulatory reasons. And then we've seen some halts. And in fact, there was even an announcement by the New York Stock Exchange after the close today that they were going to halt RSX again. It's had several halts this week, this time for regulatory reasons. And then another bit of news we saw was that the issuers, so in the case of RSX, that's VanEck, were going to suspend creation of new shares. Now, this was the news that prompted a lot of the questions we saw about what was going to happen to people's options during the week. So I think we need to understand what the creation of new ETF shares is first. So the creation of new ETF shares is when authorized market participants, such as market makers, need to essentially create new ETF shares. They make a market in these things as people buy the ETF from them. They are getting net short. They will buy the ordinary shares in the regular, in the local market, and then they can deliver those shares to the issuer and swap them for the ETF. Now, of course, if they can't buy those shares in the foreign market, then part of this mechanism essentially breaks. So you can't create new shares. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the ETF can't continue to trade. And in fact, many of those ETFs did continue to trade. And there are several ETFs that suspended creation a long time ago, but have continued to trade. And that has been good news for U.S. investors. Why? Because where Russian investors couldn't buy or sell the stocks that they held, U.S. investors who had exposure to Russia or wanted exposure to Russia still could by trading RSX. And as long as RSX is trading, then RSX options should also continue to trade. So consequently, when we take a look at what happened this week, we saw a huge explosion in volume, both in the underlying ETF shares and in the options. And this provided liquidity for U.S. investors. Here's an important thing, though. 
with all of the things that are going on, it is still possible for exchanges to continue to halt the shares. So if you have exposure to it and you want to unwind that exposure in the event that the ETF continues to trade, take that opportunity to unwind. And so for the person that tweeted us that question, and they obviously made a very good bet because it sounds like they bought some puts and RSX has done nothing but go lower. If you get the opportunity, it'll probably make some sense for you to take your profits. Good advice, I would think. Uh, Carter, your thoughts here? Well, I mean, if you think about it, one of the greatest sins in markets, right? You can be wrong, you can be right. It's illiquidity, right? We've all been there where you're in a very illiquid small stock, you can't get out. Well, there's only one thing worse than that. It's uh, called a, a closed market, right? You're limit up and you're short a commodity or long a commodity, it's limit down. In this case, uh, we have a frozen market. And, and to some extent, all bets are off. As it relates to the uh, sort of the Russian stock exchange, if you look at the RTS, uh, what we know is its worst decline ever was in the Asian contagion in 1998. It dropped 92%. We know in the financial crisis, it dropped 75, and right now it's down about 60, but of course it's halted. The presumption is it's going to undercut the lows of 2009. Mm, pretty dismal. Tony, your take? Yeah, so with trading halts on options, it's important to understand that even though the options have halted in trading, the right to exercise still remains. So if you have an open position here, you may still have, or you still have risk. And it's also a concern for op or, or traders who have a short options position because you don't have control over that right to exercise. But for, op for traders who have a long position here in options, you still have the right to exercise. It is a tough game to try to figure out whether or not to exercise because you effectively have to guess where you think the stock or the ETF may resume trading here. So that's really some of the things that it's important to understand that because the options have halted, it does not mean that these options simply do not exist anymore. A thorny issue here. Uh, coming up next, we're taking a look back on a round trip consumer trade. There's more options action into. Welcome back to Options Action. About a month ago, Carter and Mike laid out a way to play Philip Morris for some consumer-related gains. What we have here is basically a very symmetrical, orderly, bottoming-out process, and the presumption is the stock is going to return to or close to its all-time high. So I was looking out to March, the 100 strike puts. Those were trading at about $2.65 or so when I was looking at this earlier today. So you would sell that put, collect $2.60, uh, six cents, it turns out, per share if you sold that. Since then, Philip Morris has made some big swings and now down about 2%, but still in the green for the trade. Carter, your thoughts from here? Well, that's right. So we got a nice pop up about 8%, I guess. We've given that back. On a chart basis, it simply returned to the level where it was interesting in the first place. And if you're not in, I would do some buying. Hmm. So, Mike, what are you doing now? Okay, so for those who may have put this trade on, the first thing is that on February 17th, you had made virtually 80% of all the money you possibly could have collected. That thing traded down to about 60 cents or below. And probably folks who are in that situation did the smart thing then and covered that short put. If you did so and wanted to reinitiate that trade, I would, only I would choose the immediately out of the money strike and I would go one month further out because a little bit more time has passed. We're benefiting also from the fact that in the meantime, implied volatility, that's the price of options, has increased. And of course, Philip Morris being the international uh, side of the tobacco business, they may want to smoke them if they got them. 
<laughs> Coming up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, what are your thoughts on Boeing down here in the low 180s? Carter, what do you say? You know, it's tempting, but I would resist the temptation. Boeing has problems. So the stock peaked three years ago. It was March, of course, uh, up at 450. Here it is at 180. And uh, something's not right. And I'm sure someone would say, well, the debt is bigger or they can't seem to get these planes to uh, operate. Doesn't matter. Something's not right. The chart is bad. I would resist the temptation. It does seem maybe cheap or you could think long term. Boeing will be around forever. Just don't do it. All right. Our next viewer asks, my IRA does not allow cash secured puts. It does allow covered calls. Is a deep in the money buy right effectively the same as selling an out of the money put? For example, the AMD April 14th, 85 strike buy right basis below 85 is my premium, similar to selling the put, right? Anything I'm overlooking? Tony, what do you say? Yeah. So from a theoretical perspective, you are correct because of put call parity. When you sell a deep in the money call option against a stock that you own, you have a risk profile that is, in theory, identical to selling that out of the money put option. But practically speaking, you will have potentially some issues where if you wanted to roll these calls early because the stock has started to move higher, you may not have enough cash in your IRA because you can't deposit more cash in order to roll those early and you have to hold them to expiration. So there are some practical considerations that you have to consider that is different between a cash secured put and a deep in the money cover call in an IRA account. Mike, your quick thoughts. Yeah, I agree with Tony. And also, of course, if it's a stock that pays a big dividend, there's potentially some assignment risk, which is another complication. Mm. Fortunately, there won't be a tax consequence, but there are, it is a little bit different. All right. Uh, time now for the final call. Carter Braxton Worth, what do you say? United Healthcare, 10th largest stock in the S&P. You want to be long. Tony Zhang. Concerned about some future volatility in the market? Buying a put hedge on SPY. Mike Coe. If you have the opportunity to unwind your RSX options, if the market reopens, you may want to do that. UNH diagonal call spreads will get you down to the upside there. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.